Good morning, everyone, and th- big thanks to Pastor Neil and Grace for the opportunity to speak again. I'm always honoured to come and share um, with everybody. And um, this, this morning, I really want to talk on the, that topic of praise. Um, and uh, to begin with, I really want to share a, a dream. Actually, it's just dreams. It's, dream, it's um, all about dreams this morning, hey? Um, but I want to share a dream that I had earlier this week. And dreams are important to me because I don't get a lot of them. So when I have them, I like to pay attention to them. And I had a dream um, this, this week, actually, on Monday. Um, and in the dream, I was with my wife, and I was actually with the McGraths, my sister Sarah and Ben. And we're in this house, and we're talking. And um, I think it was Ben kept on saying to me, hey, man, did you hear? They've discovered the world's deepest holes. And I was like, oh, wow. And in that moment, I felt like this almost this sense of awe and trembling and, and almost fright come upon me when I thought about this discovery and I thought about these deep holes. And I said, oh, well, who's, who's discovered them? And he said, Napoleon. Napoleon's discovered them. And I was like, Napoleon? And I'm thinking of the emperor of France, Napoleon. I'm like, well, that guy's long gone, so it can't be him. And he's like, nah, man, Napoleon Dynamite. Now, put your hands up if you've seen the movie Napoleon Dynamite. If it's not the stupidest movie you've ever seen in your life. But listen, that's all got to do with the dream. And so, and, Napole- and he said Napoleon's discovered them and he's revealing them to the rest of the world. These deep holes, they're in an ocean somewhere and he's revealing them to the rest of the world. And I was like, wow. And then, um, and, and he went on to say, he's, you know, he's taking people out in voyages to go and see these deep holes. They've never been discovered, first undiscovered, and he's revealing them to the whole entire world. And I woke up in that moment, quickly typed out my dreams. Important note, if you're having dreams, note them down. God, God, is, God uses dreams to speak to us, amen? It's important that we make a record of how he's speaking to us. Anyways, I, I noted them down. As I'm noting them down, I felt the Lord um, say to me, um, I'll read this out, that Napoleon Dynamite represents a foolish person. And the holes represent the deeper things that God is inviting us into. I believe God was saying to me that those who are willing to become fools for Christ are those who will discover the deeper things and they will reveal them to the world, leading others into the depths of God. God is calling us to become become fools for Christ, amen? And he's inviting us deeper and I believe the way forward from here. Now God... Sometimes he does things in steps, and I, I really believe from this moment forward, God is saying, you know, the next step into the depths is actually to become a fool for Christ. Be willing to become a fool for my sake. And as a church, we've been really pressing, I mean, this morning's evidence, but um, as a leadership team and even as a church, and I know as the worship team as well, we've really been pressing into praise and thanksgiving, right? And I believe praise is actually the way forward in becoming fools. It's the beginning of becoming fools for Christ. It's a response that we can use to humble ourselves before God and become a fool, become foolish people for Christ. Now, I'm not talking about becoming fools where we just, we, um, um, you know, uh, uh, run from all wisdom. We don't use any wisdom at all. I'm talking about becoming fools in the eyes of the world. That when the world look on us, they think these people are strange. They make weird decisions. They center their lives around this guy, Jesus. We become fools for Christ. In the eyes of the world, we become fools for the sake of Jesus, amen? And I believe praise is a way that we can begin to respond and say, yes, Lord, I'm going to become a fool for your sake. You know, um, 
one of the primary terms used in Scripture for praise is actually the word halal. Halal. For the Middle Eastern people in the room, you know, halal is probably actually a pretty common term for you. Um, but in Hebrew, it actually means um, the same word is used for two things. The first is to boast in God in such a way that you make an utter fool of yourself, literally to act like a raving madman. Isn't that crazy? Praise, halal, means to literally act like a madman in boasting in God. And we're going to have an example. I'll read an example where we see this in Scripture. But second is to shine or radiate with God's favor. And I've, called my, I've titled my message this morning, Favored Fools. Because when we engage in praise, we actually, be, we actually do two things. We become raving madmen for, for Jesus' sake. And then the favor of God actually rests upon that. The same word is used for both things. It's not a different word, the same word. And I believe God, on purpose, has used that word for praise to say that when we become fools for Christ, we're willing to become, humble ourselves and become fools for Christ through praise, his favor is going to come and rest upon us. Amen. His grace and actually the power of God. Grace is, it's not just his favor, it's his grace. It's, grace is God's, um, is God's uh, divine power, his divine ability, empowerment, his strength in our life, yeah, to accomplish what he's called us to do. Amen. I'd like to suggest God is inviting us through praise to become fools on whom his grace and his favor rests upon. And if we're honest, I think we can all say it's a pretty humbling experience in a world right now that's ruled, really, when we think about it, ruled by the fear of men, and it's obsessed with self-preservation. It's a really humbling experience and a humble thing. We have to be really willing to humble ourselves to, in the presence of others, be willing to look like a fool. It's unnatural to us, isn't it? Especially in this Western society that values our appearance so much. It's really unnatural for us to be willing to say, I'm going to make a fool of myself for God's sake. I'm going to humble myself. I'm going to be willing to make myself look like a fool. But perhaps, this is what I've written, but perhaps this is the exact purpose of praise, to bring us into a place of humility in our own sight and in the sight of God as we allow ourselves to become fools in the presence of God and in the presence of others. And we know... That is, it is the humble that find favor in God's sight. All right, I'm going to shoot off a quick few scriptures. I don't think I gave these to you, Ash, so apologies. But um, I just want us to, I just really want to um, emphasize the point that it's, it's the humble that, that receive God's favor, yeah? Listen to this. Psalm 13, verse 6 says, For though the Lord is high, he regards the lowly, but the haughty he knows from afar. Proverbs chapter 29, verse 23. One's pride will bring him low, but he who was lowly in spirit will obtain honor. Matthew chapter 23, verse 12, from the mouth of Jesus. Whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and whoever humbles himself will be exalted. James chapter 4, verse 6. We know this one. God opposes, opposes the proud, but he gives grace to who? Who does he give grace to? The humble. Come on, louder. Who does he give grace to? Turn to the person next to you and say, God gives grace to the humble. I believe King David was aware of this, yeah? And he's actually the man who wrote Psalm, Psalm 100 verse 4. Uh, I'm going to read from verse 1 to 4. Um, but he gave us 
basically, um, I don't want to say formula. Formula is a bad word, but he gave us a way in which we should approach God. And he gave us a way in which we should come to God. And he, he's, he, he outlines this in Psalm 100 verse 4. From verse 1 it actually says, Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come into his presence with singing. And we are his. We are singing. Know that the Lord, he is God. It is he who made us. And we are his. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. Can't you hear the humility in David's voice? He's saying, hey, it's got nothing to do with us. We're his sheep and we're in his pasture. There's humility in his voice when he's saying this. And then listen to what he says next. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and bless his name. So David's saying to us, hey, before we move into, before we come to God and we're going to commune with him and fellowship with him, it's important that we come first with thanksgiving and praise. When he's talking about the courts, he's talking about the temple. And the temple had different areas. Yeah, you'd go from the outer court into the inner court and then into the holy place and then into the inner sanctuary. So there was four different places to move through to to get into the inner sanctuary, the holy of holies. And David's saying, when you come to commune with God, it's important you come with thanksgiving and praise. When you enter through the outer court, come with thanksgiving and praise. Now, he, they had a physical temple. We don't have a physical temple, obviously. But hey, we have communion with God daily, don't we, because of Jesus Christ. And, and we, today, nothing's changed. God is still a God who desires for us to come to him with thanksgiving and praise, first of all. F thanksgiving, praise must proceed on. I'll tell you why. Because David was aware that without humility, without humbling ourselves first, we cannot actually approach God. It's only in humility that we can come to God. We must humble ourselves. We must lower ourselves before God. True? And praise, praise is what actually humbles us. Because it causes us, if we're going to truly praise, it causes us to become utter fools before God and before men. Amen? Cool. All right. Well, let's, let's see this modeled. Who wants, to, who wants to see this modeled in Scripture? Yeah, cool. All right. Let's do it. Um, I'll give you a bit of context to the story. So in 2 Samuel chapter 6, verse 13 to 16, then we're going to jump um, from verse 20 to 23. I'm reading from the New Living Translation, but I'll just give you a bit of context. So King David, David's the king of Israel. Um, and um, finally, the, the Ark of the Covenant. So the Ark of the Covenant, which had the, um, the Ten Commandments or the, or the testimony, test, testimony, I think they called it. The Ark of the Testimony, sometimes it was called. Um, and a few other items in there. But basically, this was the house. It housed the presence of God, yeah? The Ark of the Covenant. It housed the presence of God. And so wherever it went, it represented the presence of God going with the people. Not just represented, but it did. The presence of God went with them. When the ark went, the presence of God went. Yeah? And so it's been stored in this barn for who knows how long. And David is finally made king. And the one desire he's had all of his life is to bring the ark of the covenant back into the city of Jerusalem. So that it would dwell with God's people. Because we know God wants to dwell with his people. Amen? And so David finally gets this opportunity to bring it into um, Jerusalem um, he tries one time and fails. That's another story. Go, go, go into 2 Samuel, read about it. It's an awesome story. But on the second attempt, they do it correctly. 
It's, it's put on the shoulders of the Levites like God had told them to, um, the priests. And it's being carried into Jerusalem. And David's so overwhelmed by what's happening. He's so aware of the magnitude of the moment that it begins. He literally plans to become a fool in the moment and dances before the ark in a absolute, like a madman, like a raving madman. All right, so we're going to read it. Um, 2 Samuel chapter 6. Verse 13, after the men who were carrying the ark of the Lord had gone six steps, David sacrificed a bull and a fattened calf. And he was doing this every six steps, yeah? One, two, three, four, five, six, sacrifice. One, two, three, four, five, six, sacrifice. And, and, and listen, he was sacrificing fattened calves, fattened animals. Fattened animals were like prize. He was giving God his very best. And we're going to see how he was giving God his very best, not just in the sacrifices, but in his sacrifice of praise as well, yeah? So David and all the people of Israel brought up the ark of the Lord with what? With shouts of joy and blowing the ram's horn. Sounds like, sounds like praise to me, yeah? Sounds like people are going mad. But as the ark of the Lord entered the city of David, Michal, the daughter of Saul, looked down from her window. So Michal was actually married to David. When he, she saw the king David leaping and dancing before the Lord, she was filled with contempt for him. Contempt meaning disgust. We're going to jump to verse 20. When David returned home to bless his own family, Michal, the daughter of Saul, came out to meet him. She said in disgust, How distinguished the king of Israel looked today, shamelessly exposing himself to the servant girls like any vulgar person might do. And David retorted to Michal, I was dancing before the Lord. Who chose me above your father and all his family. He appointed me as the leader, in some translations it says prince, of Israel, the people of the Lord. So I celebrate before the Lord. Yes, and I am willing to look even more foolish than this, even to be humiliated in my own eyes. But those servant girls you mentioned will indeed think I am distinguished. So Michal, the daughter of Saul, remained childless throughout her entire life. Wow. I actually forgot to mention verse 14, which says, David danced before the Lord. It says, David danced before the Lord with all his might, wearing a priestly garment. Now, you've got to think about this. David was um, royalty. He was a king. He, 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 went, he made himself a commoner that day. He went and stood among the priests. And a priestly garment wasn't anything flash. It was very humble, yeah? A very simple, humble garment. He chose to clothe himself in humility. Sounds like Jesus, doesn't it? He chose to clothe himself in humility. And not only that, but he danced like a raving man-man before the ark of the Lord and made himself to look, look like a fool. David used praise to humble himself. David knew that praise is what actually brings humility and humility is where God's favour rests. If we want God's favour, we've got to become fools. And if we want to become fools... We've got to praise. Amen? David states that he purposefully allows himself to be seen as foolish so that, so that he might humble himself. He removes his royal garments and joins the rest of the camp of Israel wearing a simple and humble priestly garment, dancing in a way that is seen as unbecoming for royalty before the Ark of the Covenant. In doing so, David teaches us that our willingness to humble ourselves and be undignified in praise is a sure sign. Listen to this. Is everyone still with me? Yes. This is important. 
In doing so, he teaches us that our willingness to humble ourselves and be undignified in praise is a sure sign that God's presence is what we hold in highest regard. When we're willing to become foolish before the Lord, get undignified in praise, what we're actually communicating not only to God but to ourselves and to everyone around us is that what I hold in highest regard is God's presence. David was so overcome by the presence of God coming back into Israel that he danced like a fool because this was the one thing he held dearest. When we're willing to praise in a way that we look like a fool, we're actually saying, this is the one thing that I hold dearest. Your presence, God. Your presence, God. Amen? In the same way, can I challenge you with this? Are we ready to be challenged? You sure? In the same way, we can, we can thus say our reluctance to praise is a sure sign that the throne of our heart has been occupied by something or someone else. Our reluctance, now some of us will say, I'm just not that type of person. I don't like to do those things. I'm going to challenge you and say this, you've made either an image for yourself or you're trying to maintain an image in front of other people. That God is actually wanting to, he's wanting to dethrone that. Now, I'm not making presumptions about your life, but I want to challenge you in that sense, yeah? That if you find it hard to become a fool before Christ and humble yourself before God in that way, it tells me that there is something else that has the throne of your heart and that you hold in higher regard than what God thinks of you. Because if you only cared what God thought of you, then it wouldn't, you wouldn't worry about what it looks like when you praise. And I think we're often too quick to judge the person that's going crazy than we are to look at the person that's not and going, what are you doing? Yeah. Now look, we don't want to judge anybody. But seriously, we'll look at the person that's going crazy and be like, man, that guy just wants attention. In reality, his heart's burning for Jesus. And he's so willing to humble himself because he holds God's presence in such high regard. But the person who's standing there going, what a fool, is the person that holds, holds little regard for God's presence. And he's unwilling to humble himself. It's actually a matter of pride. It's an issue of pride. And I've loved this because I'll be honest with you, I've been, I've been as, a, as a leader and as, uh, even as an individual, um, this year in particular, God's been putting his finger on an issue that I um, had hidden itself, but has, he's exposed it, and it's the fear of men in my life. And praise has been a way that I've been able to begin starting to break free from the, from the fear of men in my life. And there are many of us that are under the control of the fear of men and a, and a spirit of the, control of the fear of men. It's, it's a Jezebel spirit. And the only way to break free from it is to begin with praise. Amen. God wants to break that influence over your life, that power over your life. And the way he wants to break it is, by, is through praise, by you humbling yourself, becoming a fool before Christ and saying, Lord, you know what? There's nobody more, no, no other approval I care for but yours. I don't care for the approval of men. I care for your approval. I care what you think of me. I don't care what other people think of me. I care what you think of me. I'm going to become a fool for you because I'm going to become a fool in the sight of men 
because I know becoming a fool in the sight of men, I'm becoming a treasure in your sight. Amen? Come on. Holy Spirit. Shanda karaba, santa karaba. Yara karaba, santa karaba. Praise. We see this in Michal's response. Unlike David, what she regarded most was the wor- was what she worshipped was her own royal image, right? She suffered from the same insecurities and flaws of her father, Saul. And Saul's demise resulted from seeking the approval of men rather than the favour of God. Her unwillingness to humble herself and her unwillingness to praise leads to what? Barrenness. You know, spiritual barrenness is the result of a lack of praise and a lack of humility because God's favour is actually what multiplies. When God's favour rests upon us, when God's grace, God's grace, that empowerment comes upon us, it causes things to multiply. It causes there to be fruit. It's, God's grace can't rest on something and not be fruitful. It's fruitful. If God's grace rests on something, it's fruitful. If his favour is on something, it's fruitful. And so a lack of multiplication or a lack of favour is likely a lack of praise and a, and a humility that comes from praise. Amen? When we are unwilling to praise, it leads to spiritual barrenness. The humility found in praise is a magnet for the grace of God, God's divine ability to multiply and bear fruit in our lives. Praise is the means by which we build God a throne within our lives and in our gatherings. Yeah? Who believes that? Listen to this, Psalm chapter 22, verse 3. Don't take my word for it. King David writes again, Yet you are holy, enthroned on what? The praises of your people. God is enthroned upon the praises of his people. We won't read this story, but I'll quickly just mention it. Second Chronicles chapter 5 is this incredible story. Again, um, the, um, Solomon, Solomon's built this temple, which was actually in the heart of his father, David, a house for the Lord. And on completion of the temple, he brings all the priests together and all the people of Israel together. And they're standing at the, uh, I think at the entry of the um, sanctuary. And what they actually do is let out this massive shout of praise. And it says as soon as they let out the massive shout of praise and they raised the, the sound of the horns and the trumpets, and as the people began to shout, it said a cloud, the cloud of the Lord began to descend and fill the temple. Because God is enthroned upon the praises of his people. When we praise, we actually build a, a seat for God in our lives and in our gatherings. And so we want to we praise as a people because we want God to be enthroned. Above all, we want him to be enthroned in this place. Yeah, every time we gather, we want God to be enthroned. We want him to rule. We want him to reign. Yeah? And we want everything to bow to him. And the great thing about enthroning God is it means you dethrone everything else. Because God refuses to, to, take, to, to share his throne with anybody. Yeah? So when we enthrone God, we dethrone everything else. Hallelujah. How many things in our life... Um, today could be, de- could be dethroned by enthroning God through praise and by willing to become sorry I didn't realise I had that on loud forgive me 
How many things in our lives today um, could be dethroned by, by being willing to humble ourselves, become fools and praise the Lord and enthrone him? Yeah? How many things? Praise enthrones Jesus and dethrones all our other authorities and influences in our lives. We see both in David's willingness to become foolish in praise and his confession of who God is as the Lord of the people. David didn't say, these are my people. He said, I'm the prince of Israel, of the Lord's people. He confessed, they aren't my people, they're the Lord's people. There's humility in his voice, yeah? That God holds the throne of his heart. It's in praise that we dethrone the pride of life, we dethrone the fear of the faces of men, we dethrone the God of self-preservation, and we dethrone the anxieties of life. Yeah? And I'm going to finish here. Um, Second Chronicles is a, is a story about uh, a man named Jehoshaphat. I'm sorry, Ash, I didn't give this one to you either, brother, but the Lord was bringing stuff to me over time, so pray you forgive me. I know you will. Um, Second Samuel, everyone, any, everyone, anyone heard of Jehoshaphat? I'm going to read from my Bible. Oh, sorry, not Second Samuel, Second Chronicles. Uh, chapter twenty. Hey, we're going to take some time to praise after this. Yeah. Yeah. So if you if you've if you've slumbered off during my message. It's time to wake up because we're going to go into a time of praise and we're going to become foolish for God. All right, so 2 Chronicles chapter 20, verse 13 to 23 says this, Now all Judah with their little ones... Oh, so, okay, so I'll give you a bit of background. So Jehoshaphat is the king, and um, the Ammonite, oh, sorry, the Moabites, and the Ammonites um, basically come together. They come in partnership against the people of Israel, um, and they're gathering their armies to come against Israel in battle. And Jehoshaphat knows their numbers; he's aware of how big their armies are, and he's basically like God. Uh, he, it says he actually became scared afraid and he goes to God in prayer and he does this long there's this long prayer you can read through it at the start of this chapter um, I do love this though I love what um, Jehoshaphat said so he's seeking God for what are we supposed to do in this moment our enemies have come against us what do you want us to do I love I love what it says here I want to read this it says our God in verse 12, will you not judge them? For we have no power against this great multitude that is coming against us, nor do we know what to do. But listen to what Jehoshaphat says. But our eyes are upon you. Isn't that awesome? We don't know what to do. They're, we can't overpower them, but our eyes are, over you, uh, are upon you. Heart of humility, yeah? Heart of humility. Now I'll read from verse 13. Um, so... Um, verse 13 will sort of explain what happens next anyways. But we're aware of the context. So there's two armies that have gathered together um, against the, the children of Israel. And the armies, it's a vast army. And the, and the numbers of Israel cannot overpower 
this army. So verse 13 says, Now wives and their children stood before the Lord. Then the Spirit of the Lord came upon Jehaziel, the son of Zechariah, the son of Benaiah, the son of Jael, the son of Mataniah, a Levite of the sons of Asaph in the midst of the assembly. I love how the Bible does four generations because we're, our family is not just our immediate family, it's the generations, amen? Um, and he said, this is what Jehaziel says, he said, listen, all you of Judah and you inhabitants of Jerusalem and you, King Jehoshaphat, he's yelling, there's an exclamation mark. Thus says the Lord to you, do not be afraid nor dismayed because of this great multitude for the battle is not yours, but it is God's. Tomorrow, go down against them. They will surely come up by the ascent of Ziz and you will find them at the end of the brook before the wilderness of Jeruel. You will not need to fight in this battle. Position yourselves, stand firm and see the salvation of the Lord who is with you. O Judah and Jerusalem, do not fear or be dismayed. Tomorrow, go out against them for the Lord is with you. And Jehoshaphat bowed his head with his face to the ground. Here's the sign of humility again, yeah? We're seeing the humility. And all Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem bowed before the Lord, worshipping the Lord. Then look what it says in verse 19. Then the Levites of the children of the Kohathites and of the children of the Korahites stood up to praise the Lord God of Israel with voices loud and high. So they rose early in the morning and went out into the wilderness of Tekoa. And as they went out, Jehoshaphat stood and said, Hear me, O Judah, and you inhabitants of Jerusalem. Believe in the Lord your God and you, and you will be established. Believe his prophets and you shall prosper. And when he had consulted with the people, he appointed those who should sing to the Lord, who should praise the beauty of holiness as they went out before the army. And they were saying, praise the Lord for his mercy endures forever. Now when they began, listen to this, all right? Here's the key verse. Verse 22. Now when they began to sing and to praise, the Lord set ambushes against the people of Ammon, Moab and Mount Seir, who had come against Judah, and they were defeated. They were defeated. Hallelujah. Come on. Our praise enthrones God so that He can take care of our battles, yeah? Whatever anxieties, whatever worries, whatever concerns, whatever circumstances we're facing today, praise is the answer. Praise is the answer that if we're willing to humble ourselves through praise, becoming a fool before God, we will gain the favour and the grace of God to overcome what is standing against us, yeah? No matter how many, how vast the army appears, God can move on our behalf if we're willing to humble ourselves before Him through praise. So I want to give us an opportunity this morning to praise. Um, we're going to praise first, Amen. So I'm going to invite you. We're going to we're going to we're going to get started. So, and today's an opportunity to, if you've never made a decision to praise. God in a way where you are willing to become a fool for Christ's sake. Listen, the, 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 the deeper things are going to be discovered by those who are willing to become fools, yeah? God's taking, God, God is using those who are willing to become fools for Christ 
who are, not, who are willing to live um, unafraid of what other people think of them and of the opinions of men, he's, they're the ones that God's going to use to reveal the deeper things and to lead, they're going to lead others into the deeper things of God. Yeah? Yes? And today's an opportunity to say, Lord, I want to step into the deeper things. I'm going to humble myself, become a fool before you. And all these other concerns I've got, you're going to take care of them. Yeah? I'm going to enthrone you today so that everything else can be dethroned. Hey, make a decision today to dethrone the fear of men in your life. Make a decision today to dethrone the God of self-preservation. To dethrone the fear of people's opinions. Let's dethrone it. Let's humble ourselves before God. Let's build a, let's build a throne for Him. A place for Him to sit, yeah? Let's get to our feet.